Hi, this is the Glencairn Podglass, celebrating 20 years of the Glencairn Glass, the world's favourite whisky glass. This is part two of an interview with Charlie McLean, in which he talks about the whisky industry and the future of whisky. Just thinking about whisky itself, it has been just phenomenally successful. You, you took us back briefly there to the kind of mid nineties with the growth of malt, but why do you think whisky has been so successful, especially compared to with so many other drinks out there? Gosh, well, it, we we. It's an interesting question. The um. The, the the first thing I think it is that, that, that should be said is that we're talking seriously global market now. Um, um, in any market, the first prerequisite is that the the people should have the wherewithal, the the, the spondulics, to 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 buy the whiskey. Uh, the second is that the whiskey should be available. Now, the. And then the, the, the third, if you like, is, is, is promotion. One of the reasons why the, the in, in more recent years, I mean, I'm really talking about since 2000, where really the sales of particularly malt whiskey have gone ballistic, um, um, the social media now plays a big, an important part to spread, spread the word. Before that, um, uh, advertising and promotion in various markets. Markets are different. To all, all, the, the, the you know the profile market profiles are, are different from place to place. Europe, America, Asia, etc. Um, and um, but availability is very important. Now, how do you account for it taking off to such an extent? I think that the the simple answer to that is that. It has the flavour of, of whiskey has um, an overall appeal to humanity. That's the simple answer, um, but that must be qualified because a it's not an easy drink. I'm sure that you remember and I remember the the early days of trying to get you bring being brought up in Scotland, where if you were a man you took a dram, and the um, and quite frankly, often at New Year, etc., you know, you, you're far too young to appreciate it or enjoy it, even, <laughs> and you get pissed. And the, um, um, but the 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 so it's 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 not an easy drink. It's not like vodka, which simply takes on the flavour of anything you add to it, um, um, or or even gin. Um, um, but it's, I mean, but but the, it. Once, once you, 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 you get the taste, it's hugely rewarding. And then why is it rewarding? Well, it's because of its complexity. It's, it's universally, especially Scotch malt, is universally recognized as being the most complex spirit in the world. More so than cognac, more so than armagnac, more so than, than, than really any other uh, brown spirits. Um, and the fantastically complex. So if you, if you, if you, if you become interested, there, there's a vast range of flavours, subtle in some cases, extreme in others, um, available to you know. If 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 you if you become interested or indeed a, a connoisseur, let's say. Um, so there's a, a huge range available. 
Secondly, with with humble whiskies, um, you know, ordinary blends and so on, ordinary malts, it's eminently flexible. If you think of cognac, um, really, you think of drinking after a meal, after dinner in particular. Um, the um, Although in China, they like to drink a whole bottle at lunchtime, which is very encouraging. And now, now of course, in China particularly, the um, uh, Scotch whiskey, particularly particularly malt and, and also deluxe blends, um, and they, they, they'll drink it by the bottle. They'll share a bottle, you know, buy a bottle in, 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 a, in a restaurant or a bar and um, over it, over a meal. And the um, very often with a meal rather than after a meal. But anyway... But whiskey is eminently flexible in that it can be enjoyed, it can be mixed, as I mentioned. It can be enjoyed um, pretty well at any time of day. Um, you know, I have my favourites, what I call afternoon whiskies, which I, mean, I don't usually drink in the afternoon, I have to say, but, the, but you know, on high days and holidays or when I'm sailing, I'm, I'm a keen sailor. And the, uh, after lunch, you know, we sometimes allow ourselves a couple of drams in the afternoon. Um, and a certain style of whiskey goes perfectly with that. It can be drunk before supper. It can be drunk after supper. And increasingly, of course, um, the people are drinking with a meal. I'm not a great fan of that, to be honest. I prefer to drink wine with, with, with food. Um, but so flexibility um, is another, another key aspect. Um, and yeah. from that, I, I, that, from that point of view, look at, looking at it, over the years you've been doing this, what, have there been any surprises, anything you didn't see coming along in terms of within the whiskey industry? Um, well, there's several, really. The, the growth in the... the the, the, the recent the, we're, we're, Scotch whisky at the moment is enjoying a renaissance such as it's unparalleled. It's certainly unparalleled since the, the 1890s when blended Scotch took off in a big, big way. Um, the, but but the, 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 in, when I started in 1981, um, the only one bottle in a hundred, one percent, um, was sold as single malt whisky. A blended scotch right from the 1890s through till the well till the 1980s um blended scotch was the drink and it was extremely difficult there were only well to go back 10 years before that and there were really only about half a dozen malt whiskies which were generally available you know and even that and sometimes they were difficult to find the the so the growth in the interest and availability of single malt whiskies um, has been phenomenal uh, since well so through the eighties and into the nineties. Given a great spur by um, when United Distillers released their so-called classic malts, um, which were based specifically on different flavors from different regions. Regions have gone a bit out of fashion now, but the um, but nevertheless it, it opened up. Um, so you had. Glenkinchy, a lowland malt whiskey, which is sort of lightweight, grassy, floral. You had Dalhwini, which is a highland malt whiskey, which has got more texture to it, it's a slightly heavier whiskey, but, you know, um, also relatively medium weight, if you like. You've got Cragenmoor, which is a Speyside whiskey, slightly more sherry style, slightly very complex um, whiskey. Where are we? Oban, 
um, West Coast, very slightly maritime, you know, also quite lightweight. That's a good afternoon whiskey, by the way. Um, um, where am I? And then you've got Talisker, um, peppery and lightly smoky from Sky Island whiskey, if you like, island style, West Coast style. Um, and then the mighty Lagavulin, 16-year-old, which is um, rich and smoky. So a whole range of flavors. Um, often when they launched them, the, the six of them, they were they were they were available. They, you could see them on on the on the bar top or whatever, and so you could taste and try and so on. And that so the whole idea of that really that was in uh, in eighty eight yeah eighty eight the the classic malts were, were launched and um, and that that opened up the whole sector. It opened the whole thing up, and people started to think and talk about malt whiskies. Um, and that has grown and grown and grown. Um, Throughout the throughout the nineties, and then particularly, particularly after about two thousand and six, I would say, but say say two thousand. And one of the things that's noticeable going forward is that that that, that it, it doesn't seem to be stopping, and it's noticeable now the number of new distilleries that are turning up, not just in Scotland but but round the world. They're... Oh man, tell me about it. You know. <laughs> Does that not I make your job a bit more difficult, given that there's just so many new whiskies coming onto the market? Well, the the I think that by my calculation, thirty six new distilleries have opened since a two thousand and four, um, and there's a further twenty seven in the pipeline, um, and a lot of them won't be built. Um, at the same time, a number of the major distilleries, Macallan, Glenlivet. Um, uh, Glenfiddich um, have have expanded, even Glamorangi have expanded capacity dramatically. So, you know, my sort of, well, the last time I did it, a sort of back of the envelope um, calculation, I estimated that the since 2004, um, the capacity, the amount of, of spirits that can be produced by the Scotch whiskey industry um, has increased by 60%. Question. Will the market demand be increased by sixty percent in five, ten years' time when the whiskey is ready? When it becomes whiskey, because remember, it's not whiskey until until it's been matured for at least three years. Um, major question, major, major question, because the history of, of the Scotch whiskey industry is a history of booms and busts. Um, I mean, the big, big whiskey boom um, in the eighteen nineties uh, finished with a crash like none other in 1900 precisely and that was mainly to do with um, overproduction production was much greater and the, the stocks the mature stocks or the stocks under maturation um, far far exceeded the demand and then there was a change of fashion you know when King, King Edward VII came to the throne fashion started to change scotch was no longer quite so fashionable and um, um, uh, and then there was a, there was a terrific boom. Second boom would be after the Second World War, where, where Scotch blended Scotch was um, the drink of the free world. Um, massive demand led to new distilleries, expansion of old distilleries, modernisation of distilleries. Uh, result by the late nineteen seventies, overproduction. You know, and so then in eighty three and eighty five. Uh, a lot of distilleries closed. Some of them have never reopened. Um, 
but there was a general gearing down of production to to take account of, of the the huge stock of um, whiskey under under bond whiskey maturing um, to try and balance up the the because you start getting you start getting um, price cutting price wars you know um, trying to and you see you, you and then again fashion you see in the early in the um, in the early eighties. Vodka became um, the, the, with the. It was always said that the the, the, the Scottish whisky industry, um, by the nineteen eighties, um, had forgotten. They'd lost about two generations of drinkers, um, and they just sat on their, They sat back on the the laurels, and um, um, and then vodka came in. Uh, white rum, Bacardi, particularly. Um, to, wine was favoured tax wise in the home market in the UK. Um, Whereas spirits were penalised, which is actually crazy because we're a, a you know spirits-producing country by and large, the whole of the UK generally whiskey and so on. Um, the um, but wine was favoured, and so wine took off in a big way at the expense of of Scotch whisky. Um, um, so it was a, it was a, so there we are, boom and again boom after the war bust by the by the by the early eighties, um, and then clawing their way up again. Um, the, and then that, see, my contention is that malt whiskey sort of rather saved the day because it was not, to, to people who didn't like blended scotch, it was a different drink, you know, and the, um, and so they started thinking, wait a minute, that's not bad, you know, and the, um, so gradually, gradually, and then, you know, the, the more and more malt whiskies became available. Um, the promotion was always very subtle, the, 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 um, Malt whisky drinkers don't don't like to be advertised at, generally speaking, and yep. the um, um, so it's, but the 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 yeah. But sorry, back to your question. What's going to happen in in five five ten years time? Well, there 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 are various complexities. Um, not least the fact that there's going to be a large number of unknown new malt whiskies available in the marketplace in let's say it's already beginning in a small small way but certainly in by five years time there's going to be a lot of competing brands and the um the first thing is that distribution is this, i'm talking global distribution so the agents for each each company each brand um and they so they, they, they'll go to to an, an agency and say look will you promote our brand and they say well wait a minute now the the uh, We've already got X, Y, and Z, and we can't take on any more. Or they'll say, "Yeah, well, this is all very well, but the, the marketplace is crowded and very, very loud, very noisy." Um, and when we're going to our uh, um, to the retailers um, in the uh, in the off trade, um, we're and, and asking them to stock it, they say, um, "Well, wait a minute now. In, in order to get your bottle on the shelf, um, we're going to have to take another bottle off the shelf." You know, and why should we, to, um, why should we put your completely unknown brand up when um, we've got you know, good sort of steady sellers um, which we had to remove? Um, the third aspect of that is that whiskey drinkers who who are um, who become keen on whiskey in 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 again global markets, they're rather like wine drinkers. They're, they with with malt whiskey certainly they're not brand loyal. They want to explore, so they'll always give your whiskey a chance. But will they buy the second bottle? You know, yep. and so the the, the the perils. 
it, it's all very well, to be honest, Gordon. Um, it's all very well raising the five to ten million pounds to build a distillery, and then you probably need, oh, not far short of that, I think, to, to keep the thing running until you've got a product. But then you've got to take your product to market, and that's the real ball breaker. Yeah, you know, and I suppose, I suppose the other the, the other thing that's there is that taste change I mean no one's you know when when I remember I worked in the the beer trade for years and virtually nobody saw the boom of cider coming nobody saw the alcopops coming in in the yeah. spirits world I don't think many people saw the rise of gin and you notice around the world as well at the moment just the number of distilleries making whether it's you know from America or elsewhere they're making their own version on whiskey as well again there just seems to be a phenomenal growth in that side and all of that is going to be competition is it not uh, potentially, yes. That we, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. The expansion of distilling. I mean, there are thousands of distilleries now in America. Um, you know, it's it's mainly very small scale, and indeed, very few of them, apart from the big brands, obviously, um, will um, be offering their products. You know, around around the world. So it's mainly for many very very small scale. Yeah, and this is true in many other countries. But the um, but then you've got you've got serious competitors like um, Cavalan Distillery in Taiwan, um, which produces superb whiskey, wins awards all over the place, and it's a huge plant. It's a huge distillery, and so they um, and they they it's expensive, but they you know they they've got now they're entering global markets, and so these these yeah they should be seen as potential competitors, um, and the and the industry the Scotch whiskey industry cannot be complacent should not be complacent about this. Um, at the moment, the Scotch has so much more going for it in terms of heritage, craft, romance, dare I say it, um, you know, history, the whole thing, um, uh, and the range of, the range of flavours. Because, I mean, again, going back, I mean, it's unfair to compare Scotch with bourbon because they're both different products made in different ways and the, the, the flavour profile that the, the, the distiller is looking for is different. So you compare like with like. You compare bourbons with bourbons. You don't compare, make a direct, you know, scotch is better than bourbon. It's not necessarily. It's 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 just different, you know. Yep. Same is true with Japanese whiskey, you know, which is very popular at the moment. The, uh, and again, one of the reasons why it's, why it's for its popularity, and again, it's recent massive growth in, in um, its scarcity. And that rarity drives, it, it sort of whets the appetite of the market. So the prices go up. And people can't get it, so they want it more, and so on. I mean, yep. But all over the world, the um, it's going to be a very difficult, difficult. Um, um, it's very, very difficult to, to to project what the demand will be. But it will be a global demand. And if things go wrong, say they start slapping huge import taxes um, in one market, then product can be diverted to 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 another. You know. And they'll say, say they, they, they stick massive taxes on in Brazil, then it can be shipped to Nigeria. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yes. So it is, it is a global market. Um, and wherever, it's so much to the, the well, there again, you see the global economy, it's so much pegged to that because people have to have the first, the first prerequisite is that people have got money in their pocket sufficient to, to, to afford what is, after all, an imported luxury good, you know? And when you've been you've been round the world talking to God knows how many people about whiskey, you know, in terms of you know the sensory evaluation, the history of whiskey, etc. Just just for the listeners, is do do people have you know 
the same question? Are there questions that come up on a regular basis? Are, are people asking the same thing or do they surprise you when you're actually out and about? Questions other than, hey, how do you get a job like you got? <laughs> <laughs> I would take it that's the, that's the most popular question. I think it probably is. The People are intrigued by where flavour comes from. You know, at what, at what, well, it, it, it's very much market to market. I mean, in Northern Europe, for example, the, and right, well, I mean, not so much France, funnily enough, but um, Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, Denmark, Scandinavia generally, um, very interested in, in how, where flavour is developed, why does it taste as it does, and, um, you know, what aspects of production produce certain sort of, um, Essentially, chemicals that that, that, that give the the, 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 the give the flavour. That's that they're quite I'm quite commonly quizzed about 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 that sort of thing. Um, um, I, I, and over the last couple of years, or fifteen years actually now, um, I've been doing a lot of work in China and Taiwan. Taiwan is is Taiwan is the well it, well it was the third biggest market in the world for malt whiskey. Um, a small island. Um, it's 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 slipped. It was it was number three. America being one, duty free two, Taiwan three. That was, in, I think it was twenty thirteen. Yeah. Um, it's now it's now slipped to five, I think. But the the um, a very knowledgeable market, um, very intelligent, very appreciative, and very intelligent questions, and appreciative of the um, knowledgeable about about the about the product. And I'm, I've been doing a lot of work with Diageo to 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 um, to do the same same sort of thing in in, in mainland China as uh, where, the, where the potential is vast. I mean, China is really the big hope um, that if and whiskey is doing terribly well there now, and it's only quite recently that it's taken off so, and, and been available. Um, and again, particularly upmarket um, deluxe whiskies, Johnny Walker Black Label, Chivas Regal 18, etc. But now malt whiskey again. Malt whiskey is doing. Do you know I've got a couple of bars named after me, and one in Beijing, and one in a place called Hangzhou, um, uh, Charles Whiskey Bar. <laughs> Here, that's that's cool. <laughs> so, so you, do, do you get a free drink when you go to your own bar? <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. that's brilliant. And from, from at the moment, book wise, what are you currently working? Can you tell us what you're working on at the moment? Well, the one um, I mentioned to you that actually this lockdown has been a godsend because the um, I was commissioned to write a book called um, A History of Whiskey in 100 Objects. Um, this would be early last year. Um, and I was traveling so much last year that I just, I tried to get out of it, quite frankly. And the, um, but then they persuaded me to, to stick to it. Um, by bringing in a good friend of mine who's also a very good whiskey writer, Gavin Smith, um, to help with this to, so we could share the burden. And, and, they, and they gave us, the publisher gave us an, an extra year to, to deliver. So I started on it just after Christmas. And then, of course, with this lockdown, well, we've both finished and um, I'm just going through the text, um, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And um, so that, and that has been, it's been such fun because, as I say, historical research is really gives me huge pleasure and um and you know you learn things every day or it's like a big i think of it as being like a like a big jigsaw puzzle 
and suddenly a piece fits in fit, and then it slots in and it opens up a whole area of the jigsaw that suddenly makes sense, you know. Um, so that's been my most recent big project. Um, and that will be delivered, should be delivered to the publisher at the end of the week or beginning of next week. Um, once we've both, Gavin and I both, um, crossed the T's and dotted the I's. And then in between times, an American publisher asked me to um, update um, uh, my book, Malt Whiskey, which was published in 97. And so, and I, so in other words, I wrote it 25 years ago and the, um, um, that, that had to be updated to be made into an e-book. Um, so that was, a, that was a, a bit of work. And then there were two commissions that came, but both um, for, for little books that will um, accompany sort of eye-wateringly expensive bottles. One is a, a book about uh, Kurosawa, Japanese whiskey, um, 1981, and the other about Grant, 1948, which, by the way, is unbelievable to taste. I haven't tasted the Kurosawa, but the... Um, the forty-eight grant is, is 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 terrific, absolutely terrific. So, it's been a very fruitful period for me actually to be able to get on with this without interruption, you know, and without having having to travel. I mean, obviously, the old income takes a hit because the the um, uh, all all engagements cancelled for for well, for the year really until things sort themselves out. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's kept it's kept me cheery anyway. Although in one way, if lockdown was extended, it wouldn't be the worst thing that's ever happened to you by the sound of it. Well, so, so long as commissions keep coming in, <laughs> and that's the thing. Just one last question, just because just this has been brilliant, Charlie. One last question. Just the fact we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of the glass. There's there's yep. north of 25 million out there. They're doing over 3 million a year. Any, any thoughts on why the glass, from your point of view, has been so successful, just standing looking at what it's done? Well, because it works well, it does. It's it's both a good nosing glass and a good tasting glass. Um, when Raymond, um, his original version was smaller than the the what um, what became the the. I mean, as you know, it was it was first uh, he first designed it in in about nineteen was it 1980 1990 anyway it was a long time ago and then, it's about 40 and then, years ago it's about nearly twice as long as it's been I, around yeah that, yep that's right and then then scott i think discovered it and, and they and they they then released it and remade it and took the advice to the blenders etc etc <laughs> but the key success was down to its its robustness the, you know you can put it in an industrial washing machine in a bar you know, whereas the the previous whiskey nosing glasses, spirits nosing glasses, they're called the copitas, were fragile, the stem, but uh, hence the heavy base of the of the Glencairn glass. Um, but it, I mean, not only does the, 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 the heavy base make it not not so easy to knock over, but the key thing is that it makes it possible to to wash, you know, um, dozens in an industrial washing machine to to um, so, you know, it's hardly surprising. Unfortunately, of course, the, uh, the 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 peril is that it's been copied all over the place, and they spend their time having to fight off, um, you know, and protect protect their copyright. I mean, always successfully, but the um, it's just a terrible time waster and very expensive to to defend your your copyright. Yeah, it's, it's a brilliant it's a brilliant glass. It really is, and the um, 
And they're a lovely, lovely family, really lovely family. And I'm, really, I'm so, so pleased by their success. Well, Charlie, on that note, we, we'll finish this. Can, can, just from, from Glenn Cairns' point of view and from the podcast point of view, can I thank you for taking the time to talk to us. It's been absolutely Hi, fantastic. It's been a great pleasure, Gordon. I've really enjoyed our conversation. You've been listening to the Glencairn Podglass, celebrating 20 years of the Glencairn Glass, the world's favourite whisky glass. 